Hello, and welcome back to Deviant Little Darlings. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And if you love hearing stories about all things taboo, scandalous, and out of this world, you are in the right place. Woo! Merry Christmas, everyone. I guess this is being released on Christmas Day. What a treat. Oh, yeah. Our gift to you guys. Yes, you're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, we're just like... This is going to be a good episode, so it is a gift, is all I'm yeah. trying to say. <laughs> Maybe not the gift anyone asked for or wanted, but it's the one you're getting, yeah. so... You might have some nightmares, but, yeah. you know, you've listened to this many episodes so far, you, you know what's <laughs> up. Um, we were just talking before we got on the microphones about Christmas and, like, our plans this year... Katie's family usually does a coastal Christmas theme, which I think is so cute. Um, but yeah, we uh, I think like many people, we've kind of given up. I think we're all just like a little we've been stuck in this house together for like actually a year. Love you guys. <laughs> but um, our Christmas tree, we put up the Christmas tree and then did not decorate it at all. Um, which is fine. Honestly, it still looks nice. There's lights on it. So it's like no complaints from me. Yeah. It's just like all our coastal ornaments and like starfish aren't up. So, well, maybe next year. You know how people do uh, Christmas in July? Like you said, you should just do Mm -hmm. coastal Christmas Christmas in July July. because it's summer. You said it. That's when it makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) So Um, if you want to come to my Christmas in July party, let me know. (laughs) I would love to. I never really got that because... I don't know. Christmas is always so like it snowed here last night. I oh, I heard. Yeah, I saw. Christmas is always so wintry that I don't always get the July thing. Um, but yeah, it snowed here. White Christmas. It was a nice surprise. Uh, I'm super I'm excited. Jealous. Yeah, it all melted though. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I'm oh. I'm dog sitting this dog. He's really cute. He's a little uh-huh. Shiba Inu. And we went outside. To, I was like, oh, he's gonna love the snow. It'll be so cute. Oh no. And I have to walk up a little grass hill outside to get to the path. And mm-hmm. I totally slipped in the snow <gasps> and fell. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, it's okay. Like I, the snow, it just snowed. It's not going to be that dirty. Well, the snow in my, um, you know, like neighborhood, it just turned everything into mud. And so now <sighs> I'm living in a mud pit and Good. some kids tried to make a snowman next door and it was really cute last night but then when we woke up this morning the snowman is completely brown it's made out of mud Ew. it's there's no Aww. snow it's just piles and piles of mud everywhere a mud man okay yeah, a mud man <laughs> yum we love that mm, yeah so that wasn't um, very well fun. that'll get you in the holiday spirit right <laughs> that's yeah that's like the the 2020 version of like the white christmas you can expect it's like mm-hmm. oh it snowed but it's still terrible <laughs> jokes on everybody <laughs> oh yeah oh man well it's exciting i feel like it's a weird year but i'm glad i could do this year with you oh, and all of our too. listeners <laughs> who would have thought we started this in the summer now we're already on to the next big holiday it's kind of crazy. crazy um also i am I have been very patiently waiting for the next installment of your story. So, like, do you want to just get started? Because yeah. Because I've been dying. Okay, me too. I can get right into it. Um, So, I don't know. Do you need, like, a recap of what happened? Maybe, like, 
a little one just in case okay if you have one yeah i can just quickly summarize so i left off after describing um the zodiac killer if anyone for some reason didn't listen to that one i would recommend going back to to episode 32 because that is really where mm-hmm. i set up the story this is just a continuation um it's very detailed yes very detailed we went into the exact crimes that he committed um the different letters that he sent to the newspapers and the police and specifically these ciphers that he sent um that he claimed to contain his identity so that was like a really big deal um one of them was unsolved until this month december 2020 51 years later And I think I mentioned this in the beginning, but this is a completely cold case. It has never been solved. We do not know the identity of the Zodiac Killer. Um, And I think that's where I left off. I just went through the the first half of like the crimes that kind of spun up this whole identity of Zodiac and the fear in the neighborhood and everything like that. Um, So, yeah, where we ended off, the next steps kind of... um, in the unfolding of the Zodiac, they're kind of muddy, not like my mud man, but just, (laughs) (laughs) just kind of uncertain. So another letter is sent, um, that is deemed to be authentic. So that's the kind of thing. Now there's all these letters coming in and we don't necessarily know which ones are real. Mm. Are they all real? Some of them are like for sure fake. It's kind of weird. So another letter is sent in that is deemed to be authentic. Um, More killings occur and the newspapers start to attribute them all to the Zodiac. And they even offer a $1,000 reward for any information about the kills or whatever. Um, But a lot of these things are debunked and police do not attribute them all to the Zodiac. So this is why the number of the victims is really unknown. Um, and it was, yeah. And it was such a media frenzy at the time. We don't know if his killings just like went by undetected. Maybe there were some copycats or maybe he even took credit for other deaths that were just not related to him. Mm -hmm. Um, but he does in these letters that he starts sending, he does start listing like his number of victims and the numbers that he send do not match the police reports that we have. So again, is he lying? Do we just not know? We don't know. Right. Um, okay, so one other famous incident did occur on March 22nd, 1970 to Kathleen Johns. Kathleen was driving late at night with her 10-month-old daughter from St. Bernardo to Petaluma, California to visit her mom. She noticed that the car behind her had been honking their horn and flashing their high beams at her repeatedly, so she pulled over on Highway 32 to see what was the matter. The driver behind her pulls over too and gets out of his car. The man leans in the window and tells Kathleen that he noticed her tire was wobbling and that the lug nuts on her wheel needed tightening. He offered to help fix up the tire uh, while Kathleen stayed in the car. And then when he was finished, you know, working on it, he said it was all done. Um, Kathleen thanked him and they went their separate ways. But only moments after pulling back onto the highway, Kathleen's entire back wheel came off. So this is the worst. So he loosened them. Yes, he loosened them. But he was like saying that he was helping. And if he was trying to help, he's literally the worst, you know, handyman (laughs) ever. Just made problems way worse. Um, And it's likely that the wheel was not loose to begin with. So um, luckily, you know, this handyman was still nearby. Maybe not so lucky. And so he ended up offering uh, to drive Kathleen to the nearest gas station. So Kathleen and her baby get into this guy's car and in the movie Zodiac, um, they made a really big deal about the man discovering that Kathleen had a child with her because I guess up to this point, he assumed that she was alone. 
And so he like oh. was like, oh, what? It, like, why do you have this baby? I don't know. Um, but when I did research online, I didn't see that information. So it could have been cinematic exaggeration. <laughs> um, but what does happen is this man drives Kathleen and the baby around for over an hour and a half on back roads going every which way, different directions. She notices that they pass by several gas stations that they could have stopped at, but the man just kept driving and he would change the subject whenever she asked him like why he wasn't stopping. Hmm. So terrified by his odd behavior and the realization that he was not there to help, Kathleen grabbed her baby, held her close to her chest and jumped out of the moving car into a field. And again, this might have some like cinema liberties. It says online that she jumped out when they were stopped at a stoplight, but then in the movie, she like rolls out of the moving car. <laughs> so with the baby, <laughs> yeah, I feel like she probably just jumped out when it was stopped. Um, so she and the baby are fine. They hide in the field, and the driver um, also got out of his car and said was said to have searched the field with a flashlight before he gave up um, and never found Kathleen. Again, there's also contradicting reports. Some police say that she did not include that in her original report. They, she said that she just stayed in the car. So, hmm. yeah. But what we do know for sure, so Kathleen hitched a ride from another passing car to the police station, um, and I, which I would have been really scared to do if the last guy, stranger, yeah, got in a car with. A I wouldn't just, like, flag down another stranger. But yeah. it's like hmm. the middle of the night. She's on a highway. She has a baby. She was almost abducted. I guess it's like, what are the odds that someone tries to abduct you twice <laughs> I know. in like an hour? It's like that tweet. I don't think it's real. But like, did you see that tweet that was like, my friend is, my friend hates her boyfriend, but his ex-girlfriend died in a car crash or a plane crash. Oh and what are the yeah. odds that his girl, like both of his girlfriends would die that way? I was stupid, but yep. that's what that No, I've totally seen that. It's exactly like that. <laughs> so when she walks into the police station, um, she notices a police sketch taken from the witnesses of the Paul Steins murder. So that was the cab driver murder. And there were those teenagers mm -hmm. who saw the whole thing happen and like reported it. So they had a sketch, a police sketch from that. And when she saw him, the picture, she immediately recognized him as the man who had just attempted to abduct her and her daughter. So this is where the official police sketch of the Zodiac Killer is born. Um, and oh. up until this point, she didn't like know it was the Zodiac Killer. She had, There was nothing to connect the two things. Um, but because we sure. know the Paul Steins murder was confirmed as Zodiac killing, then it, it's pretty clear now that this was one of his attempted victims. Um, okay, so after Kathleen gave her report, she was too afraid to return to her car on the highway. So an officer had her wait at a cafe and they went to go get the car because um, she was afraid the guy was going to come back because he seemed like yeah. really scary. And when the police officers got there, they say that her vehicle had been gutted and set on fire. So he oh. so he did go back and like destroyed the car and any evidence and basically oh, the whole thing. So now the police and newspapers receive a bunch more letters, each one stating an increased number of deaths, like I said. So one letter um, includes yet another cipher. This time it's only 13 symbols. And again, this was supposed to reveal the identity of Zodiac, but it never led to anything. And then Paul Avery, the crime reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, he even receives a personalized Halloween card from the Zodiac himself telling him he's doomed. <laughs> Oh, good. Yeah. So now that things kind of start to drop off, the letters and killings um, 
kind of stop for about five months um, until eventually uh, after five months, they get a new letter. Zodiac now claims he has up to 17 victims. Then he's silent again for three years um, until another letter arrives and he's claiming 37 victims. Finally, in, Mm. yeah, kind of weird, really these like strange quiet times the investigation is still technically going on and in 1978 the last letter comes in from the zodiac stating that david tochi the investigator the lead investigator on the case he said that he's good but he is smarter like the zodiac is smarter so Mm -hmm. this letter came under fire because the case was now growing older and colder like this has been many years if you remember the first victim at the time was 1968 so this was 10 years later no evidence no leads um and people started to believe that david the investigator may have forged the letter himself out of desperation to kind of breathe life into the case that haunts him because he was it was like the one he was never ever never able to catch which leads us straight into the investigation dun dun So now that the police have gotten, you know, so many communications from the killer, they start to look back at their older unsolved crimes to see if anything fits the pattern. Um, We now we know like from the beginning of the Zodiac's quote unquote career, he was pretty consistent killing couples on dates in cars or in secluded areas with either like a gun or a knife. And he had a flashlight. So that was Mm -hmm. we saw that time and time again. So this leads police to consider the Zodiac's first victim may have actually been from back in 1966, not 1968, like they originally thought. Um, And there's a couple different cases that were unsolved that seem to fit that kind of MO. But these are not confirmed because there is no evidence from the earlier crimes. There were no letters sent at that time to support their theory. And there are just kind of a lot of these like suspected linked cases. Um that we just don't know but it makes sense if he's claiming to have these really high victim numbers and there's probably a lot that we just don't know about from the past so as i'm sure you've guessed um although most of the letters were handwritten there were no fingerprints or evidence on the envelopes or the letters themselves they were totally clean in fact there was no evidence left anywhere except for a partial print found at the paul stein's murder that didn't belong to paul himself and you might be thinking Mm -hmm. well it's a cab of course there are a lot of prints but this print was found in paul's blood so it had to have happened after his death this oh yeah pretty big one but this print is used as like a benchmark to evaluate a lot of suspects and to rule out a lot of suspects um, but sure. it, but it's faced a lot of scrutiny too because it's kind of could be considered insufficient evidence um, because we already know that the police did not do a very good job investigating this crime and it is likely that the print could have come from one of the policemen investigating it themselves. Mm. Like mm-hmm. yeah, like I mentioned last week, just a little reminder: this is the crime scene where the police drove by and spoke to the Zodiac killer three minutes after the crime, and didn't stop him. They just kept going. Yeah, that was bad. That was bad. And this is the, that's the only evidence that they have, and all of these cases are riding on. Also, in the 1960s and 1970s, DNA wasn't a huge thing, so they didn't really get samples of those either. 
Um, the main pieces of evidence come from that partial print, sorry, partial print, um, which is weak. And then the handwriting from the letters, which, you know, handwriting analysis can be subjective. It's not a total science. Um, and then of course the timing of when the killings took place and when the letters were received, it's really all they know. So now we're going into the theories because there are a lot and that's what makes this case kind of so I don't want to say fun because like it's not fun. It's terrible, <laughs> but uh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Cause you can speculate for hours and hours and hours. There are so many theories and different people to look into. Like I think it could literally never end probably because it's been cold <laughs> for 50 years. Um, yeah. For starters, there have been hundreds of false confessions and deathbed confessions from people claiming to be the Zodiac. So weird. It's really weird. A lot of people, especially people who were alive during that time on their deathbeds have like made the announcement like, yeah, I, I, my confession, I was the Zodiac killer and then they die. But then it's like, they look into it and they're like, no, you weren't like, there's just no like way. It couldn't have been possible. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. And it's happened so That's many times. That's a weird thing to do. Yeah. Um, and it's also people who like, weren't even a lot, like old enough at the time do it too. It's like, why are you <laughs> saying that? yeah no need to do that people but there is one debunked confession that i actually think about all the time and it was reported by a man's daughter and she claimed that her father was the zodiac killer and that he would take her along with him to the attacks but she was so young that she didn't really know what was going on she would just stay in the car and Um. she also claimed that the reason the handwriting on the letters had never been matched to anyone was because he had her do it and it was like six-year-old girl writing um and that's an interesting theory a lot of people do have ideas that maybe the zodiac you know was more than one person or he got help from someone else to write the letters and do these different things so that it wouldn't actually get traced back to him um i guess that's clever yeah but I think, again, this one was debunked and there's like no hard evidence to support it. But that was her dad's deathbed confession and she like blew the whistle. Hmm. Interesting. Um, another theory in 1996, police considered the theory that Ted Kaczynski, a.k.a. the Unabomber, um, who was also famous for submitting like this manifesto letter to the police, um, he, they thought maybe he was somehow tied to the Zodiac or was potentially the same person. Do you know much about the Unabomber case? I'm like vague on the details. I know like the sort of, you know? Yeah. I, I'm not an expert on it. I didn't do the re- research for it this time around. Um, but basically it was, a it was a little bit later on and he was sending bombs in the mail to like specific targets. And then he had this whole manifesto about, I don't know, his reasoning for it. He would send it to police and Mm -hmm. investigators and things. So based on that, they thought maybe it could have been him. He did also live and work in California at the time of the killings. And like I said, he had a big interest in letters, but also in uh, ciphers and codes. So they just seem like personality-wise it could fit, but then ultimately he was ruled out by handwriting samples and that fingerprint. Okay, but... We decided that both of those things are potentially exactly. not useful pieces of evidence. Yes. And that's why this is so frustrating because literally every suspect, it's like, here's all the circumstantial evidence and they sound so perfect. Like, oh, it has to be that guy. And then hmm. they get ruled out by those two things and they, the police and the prosecutors just cannot investigate them anymore. Like they're just, 
right not considered that's it another suspect that was highlighted in the zodiac movie is richard marshall so richard was a projectionist in california so he would project like old films for um i guess i don't know if that was old at the time (laughs) maybe that's how movies were actually wow oh that he would he would screen movies um and so some tips reported that he privately admitted to being the zodiac at the time in the movie and probably the book but i didn't read the book um robert gray smith focuses on the circumstantial evidence that richard had recently screened a movie for the most dangerous game which was referenced in that first cipher that was describing humans as like the most dangerous hunting game so maybe Mm -hmm. that was like what inspired him um some also say that the symbol for zodiac which was the circle with the cross in the middle it looks like the symbol um projected on old films between the countdown numbers so when it goes like boop one boop two it counts down i guess it has like that little symbol projected as well so maybe that's where he picked it up i don't know um but ultimately marshall ended up being really creepy and just generally suspicious uh, but he was not a good suspect, and they weren't able to tie any parts of the crimes to him at all. Um, another thing in the movie that I didn't see online was that uh, they found that his handwriting was supposed to have been like a very close match, or at least like the closest match that they could find, oh. um, which was a big deal. But then also in the movie, the the finger pr- or the handwriting analysis guy was like turning into an alcoholic because of the case and he wasn't to be trusted and it was very dramatic um so things were bad things were not going well and because again this people really investigated this for like over a decade like hardcore investigated it and then it just slowly slipped away um other members of helter skelter which is um charles manson's uh killing cult were questioned mm-hmm. and they suspected to be linked to the zodiac but again it was all a dead end um this is another interesting one i think it's just kind of more sensationalized uh george hodel or hodel he is the prime suspect in the black dahlia murder um and oh. he was also considered a suspect in the zodiac killings so the black dahlia murder occurred in like la i think um and authorities say that if he was alive today, they would prosecute him for the Black Dahlia. Um, and then his uh. son, I think his son became a detective or an investigator or something. And he wrote a book where he stated that he believed his father was also the Zodiac Killer. But this was just based off of the police sketch. So. Interesting. Interesting. I think a Black Dahlia is definitely going to be one we have to cover because it's another like. Oh, yeah. Great American murder mystery. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, some people also believe that the Zodiac was a total hoax. So after the first few letters and killings kind of took over in the media and it was totally sensationalized, uh, like I said before, it's possible that completely unrelated crimes um, may have may have just been, you know, printed and, and attributed to the Zodiac. People might be just seeking attention. So they write in and make all these fake letters. It, they could have just been a total frenzy of people, you know, sure. playing into this like fear. Unfortunate, but like it so happens. Like yeah. all this, you, like you see like the copycats all the time. So totally, even if it wasn't like someone actually murdering someone. They could be copying the whatever he does to, with the media. You know, yeah. And if you think about like all the internet trolls we have today, 
maybe there were like oh newspaper trolls where they would just like ride in and pretend to be someone <laughs> and you know just yeah. for the kicks of it um okay so then finally the big daddy of all suspects the only official prime suspect in the investigation and robert gray smith's personal favorite who he believes was the killer and again robert gray smith is the cartoonist who worked at the San Francisco Chronicle at the time, he wrote the book Zodiac, which then inspired the movie Zodiac. So he was like non-official investigator. Mm-hmm. So their prime suspect is Arthur Lee Allen. Have you heard of Arthur Lee Allen before? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Most people who know about this case just know about him. He's like, they really wanted to get him for this. Um, okay. So why is he such a big suspect? So Arthur Lee Allen was questioned by police earlier on in the investigation. Um, he was brought into brought to police's attention back in 1971 when his friend jo- Donald Cheney, 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 I don't know, told police that a yeah. few years earlier he had gone fishing with Arthur shortly after he was fired from his job as a janitor at a school. Apparently, he was fired for inappropriately touching the students. Big yikes. Not good. Yeah, that's a that's a problem. Yeah, definitely. Um, and for being overly fixated on children and for hating women. So this guy was like all kinds of messed up. Um, but then on this fishing trip, according to Donald, Arthur told him his plan to kill people with a gun and a flashlight and that he would use the alias Zodiac. Um, so that's pretty, you know, pretty clear. Yeah. Can't get much. That's... that's- that's pretty much that yeah that's his mo so yeah um but the problem with this is that donald said that this conversation happened no later than january 1969 but that's already after the first two reported crimes from the zodiac because the first one was Hmm. in uh or be after the first one not the first two it was after the the christmas one so, but he hadn't like identified as Zodiac yet by that point. That's true. He only did the the killings and he didn't have like that executioner's hood. And then after, mm-hmm. I guess after this conversation, he would have then gone on to do the other mm. car and then the other couple. So yeah. So maybe he like tried it out and then he's like, Hey, what do you think about this? I'm thinking of like getting into it. Oh, like God. a new hobby. Oh God. It's like when you and I went to each other and we're like, Hey, do you want to do a podcast? I don't know. Just, just been thinking <laughs> yeah, about it. Looks, sounds, <laughs> sounds interesting. Um, yeah. So Arthur was also reported to be near Lake Baroness, which, um, is where that couple was stabbed the date of the stabbings. And his reasoning was that he says he was scuba diving in the lake. Which sounds hmm. gross. I don't know. I wouldn't scuba dive yeah, in a why lake. Why would you want to do that? Also, Lakes are disgusting. Yeah, they really are. Also, I think um, other reports said that he may have had a bloody knife around him or near him or on him at the same time, the same date and like location. I don't know if that's true because I feel like if it was, they would have taken it into evidence or something or if it was just rumored. Yeah. But they had to they questioned yeah, that would have for sure been confiscated yeah so. they questioned him for for that like instance though because he was in the area so arthur's life leading up to the zodiac times weren't all that great either he was non-honorably discharged from the navy in 1958 which also might kind of go with the whole um thing that the sketches all had a crew cut so if he was like mm. a navy guy maybe he just kept his hair in a crew cut yeah, um, it's a hard habit to break. Yeah, 
once you get your signature hairstyle, you really don't want to mess it up. No, seriously. Um, He was also charged with sexual misconduct of a 12-year-old boy in 1974. So at that Uh, time, not good. But another interesting kind of thing came from that. So at that time, Arthur pleaded guilty and he spent two years in prison. His sentence occurred the same exact time that the Zodiac letters and killings seemed to stop. Okay. That's like compelling. So this is very compelling. Um, I will say there are other suspects that like had it the same kind of timing happen. Like they either were in the military or army or something and they get deployed like during those exact time frames or they leave town mm. during those exact time frames. Like there are a lot mm. of people who line up to that, but the police were already looking for someone who may be in prison because they had the idea of like, well, if he was still around, even if he was somewhere else, he would be doing this somewhere. Like we'd be seeing sure. these killings at least, even if he wasn't, you know, talking to the media, right. he's not someone who can just stop. So prison right. makes sense in this case. Um, another random piece of evidence kind of includes this. Oh, this is just like random evidence that like maybe is circumstantial, maybe is not, but they weren't able to actually like use it for anything. Um, so Arthur apparently owned the same brand and type of typewriter that police determined was used to type some of the Zodiac letters. He also owned a wristwatch that was the brand Zodiac, and the symbol for the logo was almost identical to the cross and circle symbol used in the letters. Uh, so some people think that maybe Uh-oh. like that's how we got the inspiration. Um, if I was that company, I would definitely rebrand. Not a good look. Oh, yeah. That's a big marketing issue. <laughs> Might be why we've never heard of Zodiac wristwatches today. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, apparently, also, Arthur had written Christmas cards to his family where he spelled Christmas with two S's, just like the Zodiac did in those <gasps> ciphers. Oh, um, gosh. So that's pretty unique. But Christmas, like, oh, I think I spelled it that way when I was a kid. Like, maybe if you're not very literate, like, that is a common mistake. I don't know. Um, he also, maybe. yeah, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but I guess the, the reason it stood out actually was because his family, this is again from the movie, so this could be wrong, but his movie or sorry, his family said that, um, he would do things like that on purpose. Like he would purposely spell words a little bit differently because he thought it was like funny and a lot of words were huh. spelled weirdly in the ciphers. So it could be like a personality thing. Yeah interesting yeah um he also wore the same shoe size as shoe prints that were found at some of the crime scenes i think it was like 10 and a half um and also so remember way back when the beginning of last um last half there was the murder of darlene farron she was part of the second couple that was attacked um they were attacked like a car drove up and then it drove away and then it came back and mm-hmm. it like attacked them Well, apparently her friends said that Darlene had a guy that she was kind of friends with in her life named Lee, who she ended up being kind of afraid of. So it turns out that Arthur often went by his middle name, which was Lee, and Uh he lived very close to Darlene. So this very well could have been him as the friend, but I think he claimed to have like never known her and she wasn't around to confirm or deny 
Um, Arthur also lived in Vallejo, so he was close to the majority of the murders. And moreover, Arthur was known to be ambidextrous. So he wrote with both his right and his left hands. Some believe that this is why the handwriting doesn't match anyone, because he could have used his other hand and had a totally different, you know, writing style. Wow. But in 1992, Arthur Lee Allen died of heart failure um, right when he was being like heavily investigated. The police were able to get a warrant and search his house the day after his death, I think, um, but no evidence was obtained. They also ran his DNA against DNA found on the back of a stamp used for the Zodiac, like one of the letters he sent in. And they ran his fingerprints against the partial and there were no matches. So again, that fingerprint, we don't know if it's reliable. And then the idea that maybe the Zodiac could have had multiple people working with him. So if he had like a daughter per se or someone else in charge of mailing the letters, then there's still a possibility that they would never match that DNA to him. So without any of those hard evidence pieces matching up, uh, Arthur was never convicted and the case has remained open. And that is the story of the Zodiac. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And this is the problem is because it has been so long. Like at this point, there's no real way to solve it. Okay. So a lot of people say that. A lot of people say it's impossible to solve the Zodiac case because of the lack of evidence, you know, all that stuff. But I just feel like we have so much information with, he wrote dozens of letters and like he was constantly communicating and like sending pieces of evidence from the crime scenes. So I know in the Golden State Killer case, people said the same thing. Like we're so close to knowing it, but we'll never know. And then with um, familial DNA and like Ancestry.com, they were able to catch him like 50 years later. So, True, but he was still alive. He was still alive, but it but it was like his some distant relative of his, you know, did this. That's true. So if they have like a partial print, or maybe they have some kind of dna it's possible that someday someone related to this person will submit their dna or evidence maybe they'll get arrested we don't know and it could go into the system it can they can check i'm still hopeful i think that's how they would get someone if they were to get someone after all this time um especially since now the site the last cipher was cracked and it didn't necessarily like tell us anything but perhaps we like some uh, I mean, I'm cautious to say this, but maybe all of the like written info that we have needs to be looked at in like a much broader sense, mm-hmm. you know, like if if someone like I don't know, but I feel like if it was what was supposed to be the key to revealing his identity, there has to be something in there. My other concern mm-hmm. with the stamp DNA is that what like I've gone to the post office before and been like, can I have a stamp please? And then the little person behind the counter puts the stamp on. Like what yeah. if that happened? And like the post office worker put the stamp on. Exactly. You know? Because there's no other DNA like on the envelope. Like when I, I think it was mm-hmm. like when you lick the envelope, I think he used water or something. And which is crazy oh, yeah. because at the time there wasn't DNA testing. It wasn't like a common practice. Right. So why was he even being but so he cautious? he had that forethought and that's what's really like kept this case in the dark because yeah, with someone that involved and that close in the investigation, you would think 
that we have to have something. My hope is that all of this time, 50 years later, the police are like sitting on some kind of secret information that they do know. Oh. And they just haven't gotten it out yet. Kind of like how, you know, the Zodiac, they were able to confirm certain letters were written by him because he knew special Mm -hmm. things from the crimes. Like maybe there's one big thing that like the letter writer never addressed that they never released that is just kind of they're waiting for one of these like deathbed confessions to align and I mean maybe yeah well fingers crossed because uh, this is one of those that will haunt me forever yes i am obsessed the first time i watched the movie i went nuts and i was like talking to everyone i knew like what do you think happened here's all the evidence and oh <laughs> i was probably so annoying <laughs> Well, no, but look at you now. Like it's so <laughs> now I can stream my to what we're doing. <laughs> my craziness on the internet. <laughs> exactly. For anyone to listen. And we appreciate those who do. So thanks. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, but yeah, dude, that's it blows my mind. And I'm very, very compelled by our last suspect. But who's to say? Who is to say? Not me. <laughs> well, I was very intimidated to go after you uh, because I knew it was just going to be good. Um, So I'm going to try my best. Um, But yeah, I'm going to take us back to what I know best, which is ghosts. Okay. (laughs) So um, I'm going to talk about America's most haunted house, which happens to be practically in my own backyard. uh, The Whaley House in Old Town, (gasps) San Diego. Oh my gosh. I've. Oh, I've heard of this, but I don't know what it is. But I know whenever I heard it, it made me really scared. <laughs> so there's a BuzzFeed Unsolved about it, actually, which may have been um, where you saw it, but can't tell you for certain. But I also have some... Actually, this might have been it as well. I have some personal stories about my trip there. Um, so you've definitely heard them, and that's like kind of why you're my friend, because uh, <laughs> you're like, the only person that likes them. Um, I loved them. But yeah... So I know I can always get people with my ghost stories. So, you know, I know what the fans want. um, So I'm just really excited to tell you guys. So I said it. There's a BuzzFeed Unsolved episode about this. Um, I had never seen it until actually last night and I watched it all. Um, And the info I'm going to tell you today is either from BuzzFeed, a website called Ghosts and Gravestones, which I think is like a tour company, or my personal experience. Ooh, Wait, okay. BuzzFeed. Is this the BuzzFeed Unsolved Supernatural series? It was like when they were trying to figure out if ghosts were real or not. Okay. I think I, I don't think I watched any of those. I think I skipped them. Well, it scared me. (laughs) So (laughs) it was not good. Um, But it's fine. If you're into that kind of thing, go check it out. But I hope I don't scare you as much as they scared me. Okay. So before we even look at the Whaley house itself and the Whaley family, it's important to recognize that the land that this house was built on has a violent past. It was actually the site of one of San Diego's most famous public executions, um, the hanging of Yankee Jim Robinson. Hmm. And he was charged for stealing a rowboat and very unfortunately was a very tall man. Um, And so the, the hanging situation wasn't tall enough. So he very slowly strangled to death. And to make matters worse, he was also too tall for his coffin so they decided to break his legs instead of getting a larger oh one. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. Yeah, so I'm sure you can imagine this kind of just like blatant disrespect makes for a very restless spirit. Um, but we will circle back to him. 
So surprisingly not deterred by this, Thomas Whaley purchased the land to build a home for his family in 1857. And he built a two-story home with bricks from his personal brickyard. And it was actually the first brick building in California. And it really is like classically beautiful. So Thomas, Anna, and their three children moved into the house and quickly opened a general store out of it as well. Unfortunately, as you'll see, a lot of sadness follows the Whaley family, and their 18-month-old son died of scarlet fever not long after they moved in. Yeah, and to make matters worse, shortly after, an arsonist sets fire to the general store and completely destroys it. So at this point, Thomas Whaley is like, we just have to get out of here. So he moves his family to San Francisco, where they have three more children. So now they're a family of seven. And after an earthquake in San Francisco, which, you know, unsurprising, welcome to California, baby, um, they move back to their old town home. And it's like jumping in Old Town San Diego now. So the Whaley House quickly becomes the host of the city courthouse, San Diego's first theater, another general store, and more. And this makes a lot of sense if you know the area because the Whaley House is like smack in the middle of Old Town. It's like the hub of the area without a doubt. And it continues to be to this day. But alas, in 1870, people started moving to, wait for it, Newtown, which is now the gas lamp area in downtown San Diego. Also, I kind of assumed that Old Town was named Old Town like after the fact, like, you know, present day. But this makes me think they were calling it Old Town. What is a gas lamp area? Oh, that's just like the name of the area. Oh, okay. I don't know why they call it the gas lamp area, but clearly they name things bizarrely down here. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Old Town uh, became a ghost town, figuratively speaking, but I am definitely blatantly foreshadowing, okay? (laughs) Um, So the Whaley family continued to live in their home despite the quiet, and in 1871, Thomas left for a business trip. While he was away, a group of armed men held Anna Whaley at gunpoint and stole the courthouse records from the home. And according to Ghosts and Gravestones, this was the tipping point for when things really started to go downhill for this family and in this house. So the family grows up and two of the daughters actually got married inside the house. Violet Whaley married a man named George Bertolacci, and it was absolutely unbearable. So they divorced, which left Violet heartbroken. And at this time, divorce was hugely taboo, so she was devastated and full of shame. And on August 18th, 1885, she shot herself in the heart while in the shed behind the house. And her dad, Thomas, found her dying and carried her body into the parlor where she passed away. Oh my gosh. So that's the second member of the Whaley family uh, to die in this house. And yeah, the family continued living there for many generations and Numerous more family members died in the house, including Thomas, Anna, and two more of their six children. So that makes four of their children died in this house. So why do people think the house is haunted? Uh, if <laughs> just like that history alone hasn't convinced you. Um, the house is a historical site, so there have been several restoration periods, and during which people started to notice abnormalities that can only be really attributed to spirits. So... The first spirit that people believe is still around is Yankee Jim Robinson. And this is the guy I told you about at the beginning. His footsteps are often heard as he walks around the second floor of the Whaley house. People have even noticed footprints that seemingly appeared without a body. 
and eerie noises that they all attribute to him. And then there are reports of tiny footsteps, baby cries, and giggling when nobody is around, leading people to believe that baby Thomas, who died of scarlet fever, also stuck around. Okay, I don't know why, but baby ghosts, like, I think it's kind of cool. I think it's like the coolest thing. I feel like baby ghosts is like kind of kind of sweet like you're not gonna be scared of a baby ghost you know like it's just kind of sad <laughs> yeah but uh you know so imagine a little baby giggling and cooing as you're walking around this house <laughs> i mean it might be a little creepy but people have also seen a young woman lingering at the back stairs who is believed to be violet still absolutely stricken with grief and she actually spent much of her time after her divorce upstairs in the home and people feel an eerie cold and profound sorrow when they go up there, which I am attributing to her somehow being able to like project her feelings. Um, Ooh, I don't like in that. addition, yeah, I really don't like that. Um, lights turn on by themselves, crystals on lamps swing by themselves, mists and smells appear out of nowhere. Like I'm telling you, something is going on here. And interestingly enough, I went on a ghost tour of Old Town when I was in high school. You know, just girly things to do. Um, and I didn't actually go inside the Whaley house because it was very late at night. But we stood on the property and the tour guide is certain that there is a portal between the spirit world and the real world on the property. Ooh. Yes. So I guess they've studied it with like electromagnetic stuff. And there's like a surge of energy that randomly moves around the property that they think is this portal. Which, if you believe in this kind of thing, would kind of make sense as to why there's so much activity at this house. Like, all of the spirits have a little extra juice because they can just come on over, like, right on this property. And I don't know all the rules of this because I was too afraid to ask, but, like, it sounds reasonable to me. Yeah. So, do I believe it? Yes. But <laughs> let me set the scene a little bit. So, Old Town itself was built over a graveyard like if you walk the streets you'll see these little like coin sized markers in the ground where they paved over a grave what? So they're marking where the bodies are why it's i don't know Ooh. capitalism like no thank it's, you it's bad um and they're they're everywhere so like if you ever go to old town i really encourage you to look for yourself because it is spooky i don't like that um, this reminds me of yeah. yesterday. I think it was either yesterday or the day before. I was driving on Aurora Avenue in Seattle, and there was uh -huh. like a giant graveyard just on the side of Aurora, like opening up to the big street. And I was thinking, like, mm -hmm. oh God, like if I die, I do not want to be buried here. Like this is the, <laughs> this is like the worst spot to be buried. Like you're just oh, next God. to all this traffic. Like it's such not the greatest area. But yeah, not really peaceful. But now that I know that you know maybe in a whole city could have been built on top of your resting place mm -hmm. that sounds worse i have to say yeah and they're like unmarked well i mean there's no like names obviously they're mm -hmm. marked but it's not like you know who's down there which makes it That's just sad. feel worse yeah yeah um but there is like a very small graveyard left like it's probably like the size of a studio apartment okay like a small oh, one That's weird <laughs> um yeah and on like a very humid night in March, I visited this graveyard with my tour guide. And so I was probably like 16 or 17 at the time. And one of my friends, when we went into this little graveyard, accidentally kicked something. Like it's dark. So it's like, I understand how it happened, but she screamed. Yeah. So we all screamed. Of course, like it's like midnight. It's dark. We're in a graveyard. And you're okay? 16 year old so we, girls, you know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You scream. It's what you do. 
So we decided that it was just like disrespectful, like just our being there was terrible. So we were going to wait where that we were supposed to like reconvene with the guide instead of like disturbing any more spirits. So it was kind of like off to the side. There was like maybe like a little lamp post that we could stand over, but we're still in the graveyard. So we're standing there making casual conversation. And I said, it's like a humid night in March. And all of a sudden I feel this chill come over me, but it's unlike anything I've ever felt. It's like pins and needles pricking my entire body. Um, But you know me. I'm like, is anybody else like a little chilly? (laughs) Is there a breeze? And everyone's like, no, Katie, it's it's hot. Like I'm sweating. So I'm like, oh, cool, cool, cool. No biggie. Uh, Like I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that it's not happening because I'm scared. Yeah, like asking around for a jacket maybe. Like it's all in your head. Yeah, anyone want to cuddle i'm a little i'm a little cold um but the tour guide like jogs over and is like did i hear you say that you're cold oh my god <laughs> i'm like yeah like it's a little nippy but i'm good like don't even worry about me and he like pivots he's like okay everyone we're gonna leave right now and i'm like oh weird but uh we follow him out and as soon as i step over the threshold of the graveyard it stops like immediate stop i feel warmth again oh yeah. So I don't even have an explanation for it, but um, add that to the pile of things that makes me believe I'm more susceptible to spirits than most. Okay. Did Wait, so did the um, tour guide like say anything? An ex- I know he probably was like, oh, being cold is a bad sign, but did he say anything specific? Oh, he didn't. No, no, no. He had no comment on that. Oh. So I'm convinced he was also afraid, Ooh. which is good. That's good. There was fear in his voice, but there was fear <laughs> in my body. So it's fine. Um. So the reason I bring that up is because then we walked over to the Whaley house, which is maybe like a two and a half minute walk away from this graveyard. And the guide is introducing this so-called portal, you know, the one I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And he says that some people can actually feel the energy from the portal. So if you put your hands out in front of you with your palms like facing forward, you can sometimes tangibly feel it. And even after my graveyard experience, I'm skeptical. Like I'm, I, like I'm not a believer, but I am a believer. You know what I mean? Okay, wait. Question um, before you go any further. So it's this portal, but it's not like a physical. Like I was imagining like a circle drawn on a wall, and he's like, "This is the portal." Oh no, no. It like it moves. Okay. I guess it just like exists in energy gotcha. somewhere. Okay. Yeah. So. You have to like kind of search for it, I guess. So you're walking around looking like an absolute idiot as people are like walking between the bars outside and you're like hands out walking around the grassy backyard of the creepy Whaley house. And I put my hands out and walking around the area he said it should be in. And all of a sudden, like I'll be damned. I get those little pins and needles in my hands again. And like just in my hands, like just in the area. Mm. And so I'm like, I back away and I do it again just because I was like, wanted to make sure I wasn't making things up. Uh, But yeah, uh, I felt something. So I'm going to call that the portal. It's the only thing I can think of unless there was like a ghost that was just letting me walk through them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, I I just don't have another explanation for it because I've never felt that sensation again. I never want to feel it again. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So... I don't know. I guess I believe all the stuff that this like kooky little tour guide was telling me because on that moonlit night outside the Whaley house, I felt it all, man. I was traumatized and I felt it and I never go back to this old town in the dark because I'm scared. Oh my I really gosh. Um, 
But yeah, that's kind of it. If you want to come visit, it's a really cool place. Really, Our friends actually just stayed in Old Town. I really <laughs> want to visit. I want to do these tours. I want to I want to find the portal. That sounds so cool. Well, I'll take you because I can. Because you know, and we don't even, you know where it is. We don't even need a guide. <laughs> I'm the guide now. Okay, so can anyone just go up to the backyard of the Whaley House? Or is it like... Oh, yeah. It's like, it's open oh. to the street. So you can walk on like the property, but like the house itself you have to like schedule a time to oh, go. Oh, I see. Weird. Yeah. <gasps> I want to yeah. go. Uh, well, I'm telling you, it'll be on our stop if you come and then we can get Mexican food and we can get <laughs> like beer, you know. Oh my gosh. It'll be good. You're really enticing me. Maybe not me. beer, maybe like margaritas. Margaritas, I don't know. Mexican it's food like, and ghosts and, an, and a portal. It's How can I say no? The perfect combination. <laughs> I know. Uh, but yeah, that's the most haunted house in America, according to... Um, some news article i believe it like 100 percent. because i know you mentioned your experience in the queen mary and that whole haunted mm-hmm. thing but i feel like this one is just more strong or, or something like it just seems yeah a little bit more ominous there's something about it that is just spooky one might ya. say chilling <laughs> chilling <laughs> very chilling is all i can say oh um but yeah, that's, I had to sleep with like a light on last night. <laughs> I was not okay. I always, okay, so I know you always do these crazy adventure haunted things, but I also at the same time always forget about it because like <laughs> you've, I've never seen you do something like that or you've never done anything like that around me. So I know. You did it all. In, I was like a different person. I know, but it like, oh, it's just so cool. I want to do that. I always see the haunted we'll Seattle do stuff, but I know it's always going to be like, the underground Seattle, like people died yeah. and then everyone haunted. People die. <laughs> we should find, some, oh, well, you know what we can do when you come to Boston? Ooh. There's a lot of haunted stuff there, apparently. Yeah, I hear that that's like the prime place to go. So we can, maybe we'll do a whole episode on just us ghost hunting in Boston. We like it's should. not even going to be planned. It's just going to be us walking around Boston yeah. like holes. Holding <laughs> our <laughs> microphones. Like. Yeah. <laughs> It's like attached to a portable little recording device yeah. and we're like, I'm terrified. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, that's all for me. Well, thank you, Katie, for sharing not just a great story, but also your personal experience. <laughs> so lucky. Um, <laughs> well, if you want to see pictures of Katie, do you have pictures of your of your thing? Like you doing it? I have pictures. I I was wondering. I I need to find them. It's been many years, but I think I okay. do. Well, if you potentially want to see pictures of Katie doing ghost hunting <laughs> or just the Whaley House itself, and if you want to see that official sketch of the Zodiac Killer, um, be sure to check out our Instagram at Deviant Little Darlings. And yeah, you can comment there what your favorite theory is for my case. Who do you think it was? Hopefully, it wasn't too biased because obviously i think you can tell that who i think it is um and then if you have any paranormal stories like katie um let us know that too we would love to hear it and you can also send it via email um you can reach us at deviantlittledarlings at gmail.com yes please we want to hear from you um and if you want to listen to us anywhere else you can listen on apple podcasts breaker Google Podcasts, Overcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, and Anchor.fm slash Deviant Little Darlings. 
thank you guys as always and have a very merry christmas or happy holidays whatever you're celebrating this year we love you we hope we hope we didn't just haunt your holidays um (laughs) and yeah stay safe out there (laughs) bye bye